Wilder, we came back last week. We did two movies. We Indeed. did Don't Look Up. Uh-huh. And we did Being the Ricardos. And a bunch of stuff came in. So, oh. yes, yeah, so I, I just wanted to sort of roll, roll. Who did no, I piss off? No, you didn't piss anybody <laughs> off this time. Good for you. But um, it's funny because sometimes we get a lot of input and sometimes we don't. And a lot of times we just don't review it the week after because it's sort of like yesterday's news. But those two uh, movies are still really in the forefront of everything. So Sarah sent an email saying not one character was likable in Don't Look Up, hated it. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, uh, you know, in The Godfather, they didn't have a lot of likable car- characters and it was one of the best movies ever made. Um, yeah, I, I think it's tough to compare anything to The Godfather. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I was just trying to find some sort of analogous situation. I'll go with but- Annie Hall. There's okay. not very many likable characters in, in really anything that Woody Allen does, but certainly in Annie Hall. Well, there you um, go. And we love those movies anyway, despite the man who made them. So yeah. it does, they don't have to be likable to like the movie. But I think I think in this one, it's kind of they go hand in hand. Now, Shanette, who often writes in and she's actually podcast with me before, but she said she hated Don't Look Up, but she loved our podcast about it, really sort of got her thinking about things. And she said she saw it as 20 writers writing 20 separate scripts, and it just never was pieced together. I thought that was really brilliant. I really liked it. Well, there's only two writers on this movie, so maybe yeah. they each have 10 opinions. They could both be Jewish. Who knows? Um, well, <laughs> what I thought that was also was I think the writers might have been somewhat intimidated by the enormity of each of the stars in it. And tried to give them a starring role, which took up so much time that they didn't get to develop the character. So I thought that was interesting. She also said it should have been made like if they were going to do this, it should have been made like Airplane was. Um, interesting. Interesting. I, I disagree with that. I get where she's coming from with the absurdity and the over the top and the that kind of nature. I agree that it's not where it's supposed to be. <laughs> but I think this... Because the topic is what it is, it does need to be taken semi-seriously by some of the characters. Some of the characters need to know what the stakes are right. in order for the audience to know what the stakes are. Yeah, actually, I agree. I hadn't thought of that. But, it, you know, Airplane is not really about anything. I mean, Airplane is a fabulous movie that any and everything that can happen happens in. And you take ridiculous jokes literally and don't call me Shirley and I have a drinking problem. And I, I quote that movie on pretty much a daily basis. I love that movie. Um, it is, it, that is also a very difficult tone to pull off too. So I get where she's coming from. I don't know for this topic, if that would have worked as well. Okay. And Rachel says, wow, we got a lot. Yeah, for us. Well, I'm not even anywhere near done. But Rachel <laughs> says that Wilder should ask every single week whether Hollister has seen Dr. Strangelove yet so that we can decide who wins that battle of will she or won't she that you put up <laughs> on Facebook. So go ahead, ask me. Oh, oh, well, now I'm curious. Have you seen Dr. Strangelove? No, I have not. Oh, so I win the bet. My dad owes me ten dollars. No, not, uh, no. It says, "Will she?" I no, I, no. From Facebook. Yeah, but it, it doesn't say when. No, my dad. My dad put ten dollars that by next time we record, you would. Oh, I had. So not, he yeah. owes me ten bucks. But I, and do, Craig Basson, yeah. get your shit together. Venmo me ten dollars. Can I get one more week because I've been moving? Does that does that no. count? 
Because okay. you've had, how long have we been doing this? A year? Oh, exactly. All right. All I'm right. sorry. All how right. old are you? You've had right. that many years to All see right. Dr. Right. Strangelove. Okay. One more. I'll do one more. And then we, we, we have taken up enough time. But Claudia said the affair didn't make any sense to her because Leonardo is extremely sexy. No question about it. But the character he plays looked like shit and wasn't sexy at all. So she didn't buy it for a minute. She did not think that that woman would would have found him desirable in any way. And I, by by God, I don't think she's wrong. Guys, I think that's the joke. (laughs) Oh, oh, maybe we didn't get that. Okay, all right. Anyway, but this uh, is also speaking to someone who saw Titanic an embarrassing number of times in the movie theater because I was the exact right age when that movie came out. So, okay. And the Titanic character's name is what was his name? Jack Dawson. Okay, how many times I counted, you know how she's always going, Jack, Jack. It was so irritating and so ridiculous. And it's just, I thought the script was so bad that it, I, I did not think Titanic. I will fight you to the death on the worth of well, Titanic. What, what else is that? Yeah, nothing new there. <laughs> okay, but we're going to move to some really serious topics today. And I thought it's such a good film to discuss, even if people didn't like it, but We're going to talk today about The Lost Daughter and the film world's a buzz with Gyllenhaal's directorial debut of The Lost Daughter. And they're either extol, they're like, this isn't her debut as a director. It is so. Mm -hmm. Well, she, no, she did a short with her husband, but it's her first full feature. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, not, yeah, it's her, it's her, yeah, exactly. And, but they're either like, they're talking about how brilliant her first time chair is, or they're tearing apart the film for a variety of reasons. And in my opinion, um, we, we'll look at as we go through this, I'm sure, but I just find them silly or not relevant when you add up the score pad at the other end of the discussion, but moving along. Okay. So what's it about? I'm so glad you asked Wilder, what's it about? Okay. So, sorry. Sorry. I missed my cue. What's it okay. about? Yeah. What's it about? Okay. There is a dilemma that faces women over and over and over again. And I think it's certainly been there for the last three, four, five generations, perhaps. And that is the perception of the selfish, uncaring, unfeminine, unnaturalness of feeling trapped in motherhood, smothered, lonely, depressed, upset. And this is what the lost daughter does look at. And so in my mind, it was excruciatingly slow rhythm that Jillenthal puts to us to put the dilemma in front of us, front and center, on the screen, and she refuses to allow us to look away from it. Refuses for one minute, for two hours. And we have to deal with that, whether we like it or not. It's painful and it's real. And I particularly think it's brilliant. But let me just walk through a little bit before we get into the discussion. And that is, you know, the plot holds the topic. And again, the book was so well done. Oh, and Jillenthal said that the author of the book. Alana Ferrante. Okay. Yeah. She said it could only be in a movie if it was directed by a woman. And I love her for saying that. So kudos for you. Let's put that right out there. But so the plot holds this topic as it has us go back in time around this mother, Olivia Coleman. Did you know she was 48, by the way? Is that her real age? Yeah. Oh, I, I did she, not. I thought she was older. So I, you know, who abandons her children uh, way many years ago and sees an earlier version of herself while she's on vacation in Dakota Johnson, who's facing her own dark side as she attempts to mother a child who is a bottomless pit of need 
for her mother's total attention. And so, and that's how it all unfolds around us. Now, I want to state right out front that I had a daughter at the age of 34. So I was well into my career, well into a very busy marriage. And I had in 1986, and you do not have any children at this point, right? No. Nope. fair to say. So both of us are coming from very different positions on that. And I think mm-hmm. it's really important to say that up front because a lot of what's being written, some of it's being written by people who have never had kids, by men, but, you know, so it's mm-hmm. it's got to be said. But what say you out of the gate? How did you feel watching it? Could you relate? What do you think of the film? It is. It's a long, slow burn. <laughs> she does that on purpose. No, I know. But it's about 40 minutes before you even have any idea what this movie is about. It takes a while, but it's Olivia Coleman. So, like, you're not going to watch it. Like, of course, you're going to watch it. It's uncomfortable. It's meant to be uncomfortable. Oh, it's so unsettling. It's yeah. meant to be unsettling. It's interesting because at first, at first, I didn't know what the movie was about. I went into it completely blind. And at first, I was like, is this just a movie about this family that ruins this woman's vacation? Because um, <laughs> that's kind of what it starts as. By the way, the little difference is in the book, the family's really heavy mafia family. So the entire town's terrified of them. Oh. And that, and you kind of get a sense yeah, of that but in it's this, not, but not it's, a lot. It's not a big part of the, of the projection. Well, it's, it's more just this like ever-present chaos of this like full extended family that comes, you know, a day after she's arrived to this Greek island, that's her like quiet sanctuary holiday and has now, you know, turned it on its head. And you see that she's got this weird fascination with this young mother and her daughter. And, you know, at first I was like, is this the road not taken? You know, what is she, Mm -hmm. what is it about this that she's so fixated on? But there, no, really early on in the first 10 minutes, there's a couple of flashbacks where it's clear the daughter uh, that Dakota Johnson's daughter reminds her of her own. Yeah, but it's it's not entirely clear. So there's a pivotal scene. Something happens that reminds Olivia Coleman's character of something that happened to her. And I thought it was going to be this traumatic, like she lost a kid. Yeah, I kind yeah, of story. Yeah. And I was I was kind of glad that it didn't go down that road. It's not it's not like a trauma fest. It's not. And also, can I just say that's that story has been done so many yeah. times. Yeah. And it's not feeding on someone's dark depression or mm-hmm. anything like that. It actually is talking about real women and the struggles that real women as mothers who are either trying to do more or just trying to keep their sanity or whatever it is as mothers of children do and have and come up against. And I will say as someone who is in her mid thirties and just hearing that clock ticking, this movie scared the shit out of me because <laughs> I was like, well, that's probably going to be me. Uh, and she makes this decision and she, she has this, this really beautiful scene with Dakota Johnson that you're just really breathtaken by Dakota Johnson has chops. She did really well in this. She gave up another yeah. film and begged to do it. By the way, she really wanted this role. Well, I I think we need to see this side from Dakota Johnson because we haven't. Um, I agree. But obviously, Olivia is the draw in this. And she she admits that she left her kids for three years. Yep. And she made that choice. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, she had broken up with the guy she was having an affair with. It wasn't about any of that. The whole movie. And again, we're doing some um, major 
giveaways here. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want to know anything, maybe you should turn this off. But two things on that. What I think was so important in this is she never once expresses regret for having done it. But she does cry throughout the entirety That's of her confession. That's not the same thing as no, I know, but it's it. it's so it's very complicated. It's not she she's very clear that it wasn't black and white. Right. right, this wasn't an easy choice for her. This was, you know, she didn't stay away. Right, she comes back three years later, and Dakota Johnson is like, "Well, if it was so amazing, why'd you come back?" And Olivia Coleman says, "I'm a selfish person. I miss my daughters." Right. And what I was so interested in was where is she now? Right. Why is she here on this island alone? And I think you get those answers, but you also, the ending left me in a really interesting kind of questioning space of, I want to know more about this person's story, but this is all they're giving me. Please don't um, do a sequel. Please no. don't do a sequel. Please no, don't it do doesn't a- need a sequel, yeah, but no. it was just, it doesn't answer all of your questions, which I kind of liked. But I definitely walked away from it confused, scared that I would end up as that mom. And also like, did I need to see that? I don't know that I needed to see it, but it was well, good. I but needed, it was yeah, I needed yeah. to see it. It's funny because I had my daughter living in New York City. And most of the other mothers who had children, they all went to private schools. We were all mm-hmm. pretty well off. And we had a lot of help. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But also most of the women who had children who were in my watering hole had had big, big careers like Mm -hmm. I did. And then here they were then sitting, dropping off kids and going on play dates and doing whatever they were doing. New York Magazine did an article in the early 90s where they started to talk to women in this particular situation. And Mm -hmm. this one woman they interviewed, she went to the park every day with her kid, put her kid in the playground. They have playgrounds all over Central Park and you drop Mm -hmm. your kid off. And me and my friend, Patty Lieberman, and um, we redid the playground. We raised $125,000. I mean, we, we just found things to do around all of the days that we were having. But this one woman, so she would put her kid in the playground And she hated the other mothers because she didn't want to talk about kids all the time. So she drank all afternoon. (laughs) She'd go home. She'd put her kid down for a nap. She'd sleep herself for two hours. Her husband would come home. She'd brush her teeth. And no one knew that she was a secret alcoholic because she lived the rest of it. So they had all these stories about these women. And I did not relate to any of them because I I had a great life. You know, I wasn't Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that way. But I also had a lot. I was sat on a lot of boards. I was really busy. I mean, I had a lot going on. Mm -hmm. But what I realized as I read that New York Magazine article is that it was very it was a very lonely life for many women Mm -hmm. to to raise a child in New York City. So I don't know. But to your point, Adrian Horton from The Guardian wrote this in her review, and I'm, I'm reading it now because it's mirroring some of what you said, but also I think it's beautifully said. Watching the scenes of her failures and abandonment, rebuffing her daughters, lashing out at them, leaving them, is an uncomfortable experience. Self-absorption is often indistinguishable from self-preservation, mm-hmm. and neither are pretty. I resent Leda for ignoring her children, and I can imagine the language through which they'll later describe their abandonment, perhaps estrangement. For what it's worth, I write this as a 28-year-old woman, both drawn to and terrified by the prospect of having kids. But Jillenthal's unwavering focus on Leda's battered interiority 
and Coleman and Buckley's equal expressiveness refused to allow you to condemn her. I thought that was really well said. So Adrian, well done on your assessment of it. I thought she really brings up some important points, which brings us to Buckley. Wait, 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 wait. What did you think? That's why. Well, again, I, you know, my experience was noting that there were mothers like that. I was not one of them. So you didn't identify with her experience at all? Well, no, there were moments when I I would have been happy to actually, I, I can tell you one when, when Sarah was first born. So she was a month old. And my now ex-husband went off to Europe and the baby nurse had two days off and Sarah slept all day that day. And then she was up all night and I was so tired. I started walking her around the apartment in her stroller and I just was, I, I think I was crazed. And then I went downstairs at two in the morning and I started to go for a walk and the doorman said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to the park. Maybe she'll fall asleep. And he's like, you can't go to the park. I mean, I was really out of my mind. And I went back upstairs and then both of us finally fell asleep or four or five. I mean, there were moments of really not good thing, Mm -hmm. but no, no, I didn't have any of those issues, but I thought I knew others that did. I read about them. I saw some of them. I know kids who were abandoned, even if not totally physically were abandoned by their moms, you know, two kids who were very close to Sarah and we were close to their parents. And so I, no, I, I definitely think this was right there. But the other thing is I think Maggie Gyllenhaal, did you see the honorable woman in the series that she did a number of No, years? I need to watch it. It's you been do. on my list for a long okay. time. And the kindergarten teacher, which I think yeah. are her two strongest moments, the honorable woman and the kindergarten teacher and she plays both her role in both of those two in the series and in the film. She does everything in slow mo. Mm-hmm. And she's a slow actor. Mm-hmm. And when she's acting, she's slow. So, what she did was took her acting chops, which I think are great, but they were often surrounded by a lot of other people. And mm-hmm. she brought them to this film and she insisted that every single person in it go into the mirror of how she performs. And but I think it works here. And I think her shots are brilliant and her, you know, just I think she did a great job of directing. If she had sped up the film, if she had sped up the action, we wouldn't have got we wouldn't have felt the same discomfort and we wouldn't have understood it as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that being said, it could have been maybe 10 or 15 minutes shorter. I I get it. I get it. Yep. Um, Yep. I also and maybe this is my television, but. I had to turn on the subtitles because the music was so loud. I couldn't hear what they were saying in the scenes. It's so funny you're saying that because I found the music in the first hour invasive. It was like, why mm -hmm. this music is taking away from the story time you're telling me. I didn't like it. Well, I thought it was interesting because. And maybe it's something that just wasn't caught. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be like this, but I thought it was a very interesting watch because you have to be more compelled by the visuals than by the audio because you can't hear anything that they're saying. And the scenes I needed the subtitles for were the Jesse Buckley scenes because I needed to know what they were saying to each other. Okay, what can we talk about Jesse Buckley? Was so great. Oh, that girl, so by great. the way, um, who was the one who starred in uh, The Queen's Gambit? Anya Taylor-Joy. Okay. Both of them have futures right out of Meryl Streepton. 
She's very good. Very good. And you can't take your eyes off her. I mean, she is screen ready. You know, Mm -hmm. the screen loves her. The camera loves her. The people watching it are going to love her. You just want to know what she's thinking, but she gives it to you without words. I thought Mm -hmm. she's brilliant in this, but I thought everybody was. Well, and I thought it was interesting because she very like I wonder how much she and Olivia did together because there's such a cohesion between the two women. I didn't notice that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, you know, she's so interior. She's so internal. And, you know, Olivia is the star of the show, but Jesse's playing the same character at a younger age. And so you have to do that in concert with each other in order for that to feel real. And I didn't question it. Right. They look similar, even though in reality, they don't really look similar. Oh, I thought they did look similar. I did. No, they look similar in the movie. Yeah. But in reality, I mean, if you look at pictures of Jesse Buckley, you don't think like, oh, she looks like Olivia Coleman's daughter. Like she no, doesn't no, look no. exactly like Olivia Coleman in any way. But the way that they carried themselves, the way that they interacted with others, especially the kids, there's a tenuousness and like a, a rejection almost with it, but that's not external, but you can read in their performance. And I thought it was spot on and beautiful. Oh, I did too. And then also there's a woman in there who's, I think she's the aunt or she's the cousin or somebody of Dakota. Wow. She was sister-in-law. I think I never seen her before. Is that um, Dagmara Dominisk? Yeah. Okay. She was so good, so good, so good. And she should be getting a lot more roles. She brought nuances to that role that would have gone over somebody else's head. I thought it was brilliant. But I don't know how much of that was Maggie Gyllenhaal. I think she directed very strongly. Now, I will say that everybody who's worked on this film says that Gyllenhaal was one of the great directors they've worked with. So I imagine she's going to do a lot more and good for her for doing it. And it definitely was in the image of how I see her seeing acting and telling stories. Yeah. I mean, the fact that she got Peter Sarsgaard and Ed Harris to be her. Well, Peter's her husband. Well, he's her husband. Oh, well, I did not know that. But he's not only that, the one film she had done, which was a short, starred him in the short film, she did it for him. So, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, they have I love a, that. Yeah, so I, I think that was easy. As in, honey, tomorrow. I don't think it's easy to get Ed Harris into your movie. Though. No, and by the way, first of all, he's great. There are so many people. It'll, I will be shocked if they're not nominated for cinematography, which I think again was amazing. Mm. Did you? Oh, I, I thought, thought it was good, great. but I, I think. It didn't have the difficulty lever. You know, you know how you're always talking about level of difficulty. Level of difficulty, yeah. Matters. I don't know that this had the level of difficulty when it comes to cinematography. Maybe not, but she, the woman Helene um, Louvart, who did the cinematography, she also did Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which was this hmm. great film. I think I saw it at the Hampton Film Festival this year, but I can't remember where I saw it for sure. But Um, which is about these two women who one of them needs an abortion. They go to Pennsylvania. It's their story. And I thought she did a great job on that. And she certainly, I think you can see her touch on it uh, in this. Mm -hmm. So I think they must've worked very closely together, but I think this was highly directed, highly directed. I thought it was really well done. I'll be curious to see what she does next. It did feel like a first film. Uh Uh-huh. 
And so, you know, I think she probably only goes up from here. Oh, uh, for and sure. I'll be yeah. Very interested to see what she's coming out with. Okay. Uh, and I'm predicting seven nominations. Oscar nominations for this? I am. Yep. You know, it's funny because I honestly have no idea this year. I mean, the Globes are this weekend, they're not being televised, right? It's like a very, I don't know, they're all in trouble, right? The Globes. So who knows? But I, well, I don't even like the Academy Awards and I don't think they hold much stock, but I'm telling you that I see seven nods for tell me what you think it's nominated. Well, for. I think supporting both on both sides, acting both sides. I think the film will be nominated for best film. Wait, I, sorry, not both sides. There's no there's no best actor in this. I think Ed Harris will be He could be best nom- supporting, but he's not. There's no best actor category in this movie. I don't know. I think they might put that in there. You know, there have been best actors who, well, and oh, what? And that surprises you? Hello. No. Anyway, okay. I think cinematography, I think writing, I think the script was highly respected. I think it certainly perhaps can get a nod. And I think the director. So that's seven. Okay. Well, I'll be curious to see if you're right. I know that everyone's desperate for female directed films this year. Uh, and we don't have too many of them to choose from. So uh, let's fix that. <laughs> uh, absolutely. But before we end, we've got to talk about Sydney Poitier. Uh, my heart, my heart. Yeah. Uh, it's such a loss for the filmmaking community. Well, but it also is such a moment in time. You know, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Now, I saw that when it came out, which was mm-hmm. before you were even born. It's that's your fault. I'm just saying you weren't there. I didn't okay. really have a say in the matter, you know? Okay, you've got Weirdly. to understand that when that came out and a black man on the screen in Bigger Than Life turns to a white man and says, they call me Mr. Tibbs. It was a shocking moment in the theater because it just wasn't, that didn't happen. People, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't allowed, they didn't speak that way. So there were moments, and then there was another time when a man comes up in the same film, by the way, and slaps him across the face. And Poitier said, I will only do this scene if I can slap him back. Hmm. And there was much discussion, and he did it. And it was also another moment of equality on the screen. Now, one of the things that he's known for, and Oprah talks about in 1963, she was watching the Academy Awards on her the floor in the kitchen of her house. And all of a sudden she saw this elegant black man all dressed up and she didn't know black people could do that. And then he won. And she remembers sitting there at the age of 11 saying, well, if he can do that, what can I do? You know, That's it was, it, yeah, it was, it, it, it's right out of when Barack Obama was elected president, say what you want about him as president or anything else. A lot of small children of color all of a sudden had a mirror of what their possibility might be. And Poitier was that in the early 60s for that community, the first man of color to win an Academy Award, the first to be nominated earlier and not Mm -hmm. having won it. And he also said he was starving at the beginning and he kept being offered these jobs for the drug addict, the this one, you know, the Mm -hmm. killer or whatever. And he said, I will not, I will not play those roles because that's not who I am. And I've got to be able to look at my skin and not believe that that you can't see me the way I am because of mm-hmm. that. 
And so he waited for these scripts and he won, but the man really forged and gave up a lot to do it. And he took risks and he was courageous. And I think that he will be remembered for that, hopefully uh, forever. So a big, sad goodbye and farewell to one of the great men in film. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he will be sorely missed. I know he was kind of a shining beacon for both civil rights and equality across the board. And honestly, some of the greatest movies ever made. So we were all feeling sad today from that because that happened earlier today. today yeah. Uh, uh, Friday. And we lost, you know, we also lost Betty White at the end of last year, which was just really, we're losing a lot. Um, some great filmmakers yeah. this, this week specifically. Yeah, exactly. But moving on to next week, we look forward to talking with everybody next week. And I hope you you agree with me. Go see The Lost Daughter, especially if you're a woman. Oh, you don't have to go anywhere. It's on Netflix. <laughs> um, so watch The Lost Daughter. By the way, you can't go anywhere to see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, please don't go anywhere. because <laughs> You know, you'll get yeah. sick. Um <laughs> Don't get sick. Stay home. Watch yeah. The Lost Daughter and then watch something fun and funny because um, you'll be feeling weird and maybe a little depressed after it. So I walked away from this movie saying, OK, well, that was something I watched. And I guess there's a chance I could become that person. <laughs> um, have you seen a movie called Captain Fantastic? OK, Wilder. Would I? You should know the answer to the question without even asking me. Do I? It's look not a like superhero so, movie. Okay, it's not. or not, would I ever seek out to know what a movie called that is? It was about. No. Okay, well, this is your loss, and you should watch it because it's fantastic. It is okay. fantastic. Okay. Um, it's Viggo Mortensen. He's raising six children in the Oregon woods alone, off like off the grid, off the beaten path. They don't go to school. Oh wait, like, I did. I did say it. Oh, you did see this movie. Wait, like in Appalachia or somewhere? No, he's in Oregon oh, and no. he takes them cross country to their grandfather's because their mother passes away. So they go cross country. No, I haven't seen it. No. Okay. It's fantastic. And there are all these moments where like he's proving that even though his kids aren't in school and like they're not living a normal life, that they are well-educated and, and they're like socially responsible and blah, blah, blah. And I came out of watching this movie and I had like a full on mental breakdown of like, what am I doing with my life? What like, I'm wasting my time on this planet. And then I had a moment where I was like, Oh, a, a movie made me feel this way. So I guess we're fine. Exactly. Uh, which is, by the way, isn't that the point? Isn't the point of film to have you leave and think somehow, what does that mean in my life or or what did I learn that I didn't know? Or what, What you know, I mean, they're they, and, you exactly. know, caused me to have psychological breakdowns. So, okay. you know, well done. I, you know what? I don't mind a breakdown or two. <laughs> well, if you want another one, that's maybe I wouldn't say it's more positive, but it's definitely more upbeat than uh, than The Lost Daughter. Go watch Captain Fantastic. <laughs> OK. OK. Are you watching Sex in the City? The, um... I am. Why okay. am I watching this? Okay, no, we're going to have to talk about it next week, even if it's a mini-me review, because I have so much to say about it. I have so many notes. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. We're going to talk it? about it next week. Yes. Is it brilliant? Yes, yes, Because I yes. have a lot of notes. Okay, all right. We're going to talk about it next week, everybody. Have a great week, and let us know what you think. Okay. Bye. Bye. What did they call you up there? 
They call me Mr. Tibbs.